The subject matter contained in this presentation is based on biblical principles and designed to give you accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that neither the presenter nor the broadcaster is engaged to render legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Since your situation is fact-dependent, you may wish to additionally seek the services of an appropriately licensed legal, accounting, real estate, or investment professional. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap. They gather nothing into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you more important than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single moment to your lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothes? Learn from the way the wildflowers grow. They do not work or spin, but I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was clothed like one of them. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which grows today and is thrown into the oven tomorrow, will he not much more provide for you, O oh, you of little faith? So do not worry and say, What are we to eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what are we to wear? All these things the pagans seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given you besides. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient for a day is its own evil. This is Radio Wave Medjinomics with your host, a friend of Medjugorje. Well, we're together temporarily. We have Joan back in with our temporary studio, in which we are working still yet on developing new projects for Medj.com to spread the messages throughout the world. And so we are gathered on this show for that purpose. John Adams has quoted, has been quoted as saying, statesmen's may plan and speculate for liberty. But it is religion and morality alone which can establish the principles upon which freedom can securely stand. It's incredible to think and get into the minds of the forefathers before they could foresee what was going to come and this nation turn into, how they thought as John Paul said, of all the floundering, floundering communities and religious orders, that if you want to rebirth it, to go back to the founders, what is John Paul saying by that? It means God blessed it to start it, and the way it was started, and the way it was ran, 
Go back to those principles. If you want to renew the Franciscans or you want to renew the Dominicans or any other order out there, go back to the founding principles. And that founding principles were instituted and brought together through inspiration to a founder. And so it's of noteworthiness that we look at the beginning of great things that prospered, why they did, what happened, and why they're not when they're not. So John Adams saying, statesmen may plan and speculate for liberty. He's basically saying, you can plan all you want to plan. Nothing's going to happen. Because he adds to that. He says, but it is religion and morality alone. He's singling out what this nation is to be built on, how it will prosper, why it will prosper. Religion and morality alone. He's saying, is the only way that can be established. The principles upon which freedom can securely stand. His words there. And so the foundation of our Constitution is virtue. Is When it's inspired into the people that it is within that framework of that country, they're free. We have now a new mentality, a new idea about everything, a restructuring, a redistribution, turning around, all of it as a judgment. Because when we, when we go away from religion and morality, we don't stand on those principles, then freedom is no longer secure. John Adams says it's only through morality and religion. You can't be a speculator of liberty and come up with concepts. Well, we're going to do this and we're going to restructure this, redistribute this, thinking we'll be able to continue. So we're in trouble. We're in trouble because we've abandoned these thoughts. We don't think. We haven't talked to children. We, ain't been edu- we have not been educated to understand why this nation, the United States of America, became what it became. I know we have a lot of people across the whole world listen to us. And then you might think, why we talk so much about the United States? Because people look up to the United States or either look down to the United States. Either side of the fence your own, whether you respect it, hate it, despise it, love it. All those factions and all those views are there looking to the United States because it is a great nation. Whether you view it as evil or great morally. Is it sick? Is it has trouble? Yes. Is there a lot thrown at it to destroy it? You bet it is. Because it's always stood on a high moral platform for the world. It's the only place in the world where people are, are thriving constantly to get through to its borders to come into it. While other nations often have had to put fences up to keep people from leaving it. What does that tell you? What does common sense tell you about that? It tells you that what John Adams said, his thought, his thought process of saying statesmen, they can plan and they can speculate for liberty, but only it will be religion and morality alone that can establish the principles upon which freedom can securely stand. We're losing our freedom in this nation. The rest of the world will also. 
It's the last bastion. It's the last place. Look at Greece. And the cancer suffers from it. I was reading something where they, they won't, still want three months of vacations. Many of the people, government, government workers, workers, civil employees. How do you do that and survive? What's biblical about that? Nothing. God didn't make us to do that. It's not the way he planned the creation. We've made what's good and viewed it now as a culture is ugly. And everybody thrives to get away from it, to be in luxury, ease, comfort. And you think there won't be consequences to that? And the loss of wisdom to see that that's not good, to seek that, is a result of sin. So there is judgment against the world. There is judgment against us. There's judgment against this nation. But people out there, you need to pray for this country. Because America's always been the beam and the light of hope that people can live free. And if it goes away, this world will fall in the deep, deep darkness that may take centuries to recover from. And so this birthing of these concepts that our forefathers started with our nation didn't come because they sat down as statesmen and think about, okay, what are we going to do? It's the first time in history world history of the world where a group of men actually sat down at the birth of nation. But they were carrying with them centuries of thought. The Magna Carta, centuries before. Law, justice, peace, the freedom from government and its intrusion. They saw the government as a negative thing. Necessary, yes, you have to have government, but very negative. And so they shackled it, not the people. Now we're shackling the people and not the government. This is dangerous. It's dangerous to our liberty, but it's also dangerous to our work and to our moral morality. Because now we don't have the Bible telling us morality. We have the government. We're saying in the government that you can have a marriage any way you want it. You can have abortion when you want it. See, we don't go to the Bible. We go to the government. And we've been so weak because of our weakness in fully living the Christian life, they're able to do that. Don't think when things happen and the church gets invaded and shut down that we haven't already shut it down ourselves first. They can't do that if we are the people and the God, godly people we're supposed to be. We have the power for them not to invade. They'd be shamed by it. They're unashamed now. And so part of that is our work ethic and what we've done. Have you seen those bumper stickers that read, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Is that all there is to the working life, earn money, to spend money in an endless, pointless cycle? The book of Genesis gives us a biblical view of work. From the beginning, there was God's work of creation. God looked at the work of his hands and called it good. God created man in his image, so it is part of our nature to work as well. As soon as God had created Adam, he gave him physical work, tending the plants and animals in the garden, and intellectual work, naming and classifying the creation. Clearly, work was part of paradise before sin corrupted the world. 
So Christians don't work just to earn money. We work because it is an expression of our created nature. Most ancient civilizations did not see it that way. The ancient Greeks and Romans saw work, especially physical labor, as a curse. In fact, the Greek word for work is ponos, which means sorrow. But Christianity saw work as something ennobling, an expression of the divine image. When Paul said that men who refuse to work should not be allowed to eat, he wasn't being harsh. He was teaching us that work is good for us and for our communities. In the Middle Ages, Christians formed guilds to ensure high-quality work within their trades. Monks and scholars saw no indignity in laboring for their keep. The Puritans and other early settlers brought this ethic to the New World. They cleared land, dug ditches, and built houses, all for the glory of God. Eventually, their descendants, steeped in that tradition, created the greatest economic power on earth. If you catch yourself disdaining the work you are called on to perform, if you are tempted to perform it poorly because you dislike it, remind yourself that you should work diligently because you are working for God's glory. And if you find it impossible to honor God in your work, that may be a sign that you should labor at something else. So we have a new mentality now. This mentality is that others are supposed to take care of my needs. Where do we learn? Where do we lose the industrious attitude and mentality that I'm not to depend on others? Yes, there's storms that come through. There's things that are fatal that happen in a the family. There's things that mishaps of life and the nature of things that take place, a catastrophe can hit. But the Bible gives provisions for that. It didn't say you can't ever accept help. It said take care of the orphans. Scripture says take care of the widow. Jesus taught this. It's the church who originally built the hospitals, the schools, tame civilization, I say civilization because it is in the past now. But they rose up cultures to a higher level, a higher standard. The monks, as this writing Joan just read, talked about the industry and work. So what happened? Well, it became business. Many of the Catholic hospitals really are business institutions now. Are we in wonder why it's under attack? We always have to look at why is it happening first. Blame ourselves, repent from that, change it, and then fight. That's where the harvester. We may put it online in the next couple of days. It's really about all this. But I don't want to go there. That's already written in words of the harvester. But where I will go is that our forefathers and the success we've seen in the prospering of this nation and their ideas and their mentalities, we now have totally the opposite. So what will fruit from that mentality, this opposite of what our forefathers taught, believed, and the principles of which we prospered by. And not everything is about prospering. It's about life, about living the moral life. You heard John Adams say it's morality alone with religion. 
So they didn't see, oh, we're just making the money. We just want capitalism. We want a free market. That wasn't the idea. But that those things surrounded a moral base of principles. And God blessed it, prospered it, expanded it. And now he's not. Why is he not? Well, the president holds office now. Shows unbiblically what he thinks. Before or during the time of his running for presidency, it was a quote he made that we want to play for you. It's really incredible. I want you to be thoughtful in the way you think about this nation, what our forefathers think, and now what he thinks and how radical this is. I could pay for it. I'd be okay. Uh, but the Supreme Court never ventured into the issues of redistribution of wealth uh, and sort of more basic issues of political and, and, and uh, economic justice in the society. And uh, to that extent, as radical as I think people tried to characterize the Warren Court, uh, it wasn't that radical. It, it didn't break free from the essential constraints that were placed uh, uh, by the Founding Fathers in the Constitution, at least as it's been interpreted, and Warren Court interpreted it in the same way that that generally the Constitution is a charter of negative liberties, says what the states can't do to you, says what the federal government can't do to you, but it doesn't say what the federal government or the state government must do on your behalf. Uh, and that... This is really amazing. And in a few short words, tells everything that's happened in the last four years, or three and a half years. He said he would change his nation. He's for abomination. He's for abortion, sterilization, contraceptives. He's attacking the church. He's assaulted the church. The bishops, thank God, are finally seeing this. They thought they could negotiate with them. We all knew that. Many people didn't knew they couldn't. You can't you can't negotiate with someone who's of bad will. It's not good will that you're going to redistribute the wealth. That's communism. That's socialism. There's no biblical basis for a government to come along and take money out of your pocket and give it to someone else. Whether it be for welfare, to help them, or whatever, or good causes. There's no biblical principle for that. It's a biblical principle that I'm to take money out of my pocket and go help those in need. But that's between me and the one in need. Not between me and then the government and then the one in need. It doesn't work that way. And so when we change to this mentality, we change to what he just said. His first statement, play this. Uh, but the Supreme Court never ventured into the issues of redistribution of wealth. Why did they not venture into that? Why would they want to? What's the purpose? There's no, there's no basis in the Constitution. Think about that. How radical of a thing this is and how we've been put on this path the last three and a half years. Granted, it already happened before. We're inheriting this judgment because of the way we lived before, so that's not true. But that doesn't stop us from being enlightened and educated. It's Our Lady who said February 2nd, 2012, this month, and you, my children, you continue to be deaf and blind as you look at the world around you and do not want to see where it is going without my son. This is totally unbiblical, what 
President Obama just said. It's completely against the principles of everything Christianity that we prospered on. And we want to we do some experimentation with this kind of thought process and put it into our government, into our land. It's disaster. Why? Because where it is going is without my son. This has nothing to do. Redistribution of wealth is a, is a violation, is a coveting of neighbor's goods. The government has no right to sit there and think, okay, we're going to redistribute. It don't matter if this unjust gain from somebody that's rich. If you're for that, then your little house in the corner that may not be worth $50,000 that you strive for all your life, it will not be safe for mothers who want to do the same thing to you. It doesn't matter if it's $50,000 or $5 million. Private property is a, is a, is a something of God. It's a, it's a principle that we have that. And it's a good for the world. Because even poor people have to have this. So a redistribution by entities such as the government whose, whose morals and, and religion is nil, redefine what is moral, and that's abomination, abortion, etc. You want them to be in that position? You want to empower them? Obama goes on and says, uh, and sort of more basic issues of political and, and, and uh, economic justice in the society. And uh, to that extent, as radical as I think people tried to characterize the Warren Court, uh, it wasn't that radical. It, it didn't break free from. The- Everybody knew this alive about the Warren Court was radical what they did. This is a man whose mentality is saying, as everybody thought it was radical, so he consented to that truth that everybody said the Warren Court was a radical court. It actually brought these things that we suffer from now, including abortions. It gave birth to these things and changed the radical and erasing of common law, which is a very dangerous thing, which, thank God, is starting to come back to people praying and realizing we've got to go back to common law. But for him to sit there and say it wasn't radical, how radical is he? This man is radical. And he's not based on anything biblical. He just said redistribution. He's looking to take what you've earned and you have. And we lose these things always, I qualify, because of our sins. It's not protected. So we are under judgment. But I'm saying this to educate you for repentance and say, I'm sorry at what I've done. I've inherited what I've inherited. We've inherited a rule over us, like the Israelites did the, the Syrians, which God says in the scripture was his rod. We have a rod over us for our own punishment. But that doesn't mean we can't go back and look at this situation and realize that, that we still have time to avert things. We're going to go through purification. We're going to go through some judgments. But we don't want to lose our nation. And we're at the throes of this nation going away if we don't come down to repentance and confess that we're at fault for this condition. God changed the situation. Nineveh was in sin. Nineveh repented. But but they still had to go through purification afterwards. When God relented what he did, there were some incorrections or there were not the correct mentalities that had to be changed. This country's got to change. And with it, the whole world reversed. So there's a big, huge battle over this country. All the United Nations is basically against the United States. It wants it to be mitigated, 
changed. The forces against it are tremendous because it is the buckhead and the gateway to the downfall of the world if we fall. Yes, our lady said we turn against Jesus. It's Jesus. We can't do anything ourselves. We can't do anything as a nation. But we as a people need to go back to religion and morality, and that's where freedom and those principles will secure our freedom. Freedom of religion. Freedom to be conscientiously objectionable to something that we won't participate in. But now it's been forced on us. Why is that? Because we have a radical now who's there by God's judgment. But again, you need to be educated of his mentality and where he's going with this thing. So he wants to break away. He, he wants to go more radical because the Warren Court wasn't radical enough. Where is he going with this? It wasn't that radical. It, it didn't break free from the essential constraints that were placed uh, uh, by the founding fathers in the Constitution, at least as it's been interpreted. In the- so you see that? He wants to break away from the founding fathers. John Adams, he wants to break away from the statement. The statement, or rather the statesman, can plan and speculate for liberty, but it is religion and morality alone which can establish the principles upon which freedom can securely stand. You know what else John Adams thought? He thought that this country, well, let me read it to you. While our country remains untainted with the principles and manners which are now producing dissolution in so many other parts of the world, about this time the French Revolution was going on. John Adams is saying we remain untainted by those principles and matters which are unprincipled and unmattered, in other words, which are producing dissolution in so many parts of the world. And there's other places besides France. And he speaks of the United States. He goes on and says, while she continues sincere and capable of insidious and impious policy, he's saying this country is incapable of insidious and impious policy. And he says, and adds to that, we shall have the strongest reason to rejoice in the local destination, our local country, our colonies, assigned us by providence, in other words, by God. And then he says, but should the people of America, and think about us today, but should the people of America once become capable of that deep situation towards one another and towards foreign nations, which assumes the language of justice and moderation, while it is practicing iniquity and extravagance and displays in the most captivating manner, while it is rioting and rapping and insolent, this country will be the most miserable habitation in the world. Why? Because to whom much is given, much is expected. He's saying that if we live practicing iniquity and extravagance, which we are guilty of, we will become the most miserable habitation in the world. Whom is greatly exalted will be greatly fallen. You know why he says this? And this is the most incredible part. Adam says, because we have no government. Armed with power and capable of contending with human passions, that are unbridled by morality and religion. We have the most abominable, perverse situation being voted on in states that change marriage 
unbridled, wicked passions. He said, we have no government armed with power. In other words, the way the Constitution, the Declaration reads, we have no government has the power, this armed with power, capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. So in other words, to go to his first statement earlier in the program that I've been quoting, if you don't have morality and you don't have religion, if passions aren't bridled by that, like a horse is bridled, you keep it under control. What happens? He says, avarice, ambitions, revenge, and logistiousness would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a well goes through a net. And then he says something profound. This is how the forefathers thought. What you've been in is how an anti-father of our nation thinks. John Adams says, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to to the government of any other. Profound. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. So when we have morality washed away by unbridled passions, no restraints because religion doesn't live and the Christians don't live their life they're supposed to, that there's no restraints against whatever anybody wants to do. We're inadequate as a nation to stop it. We don't have the government. The government was not given power by our forefathers. They didn't want it to have power. They were against government, large government. It's a necessity, but it's a negative. So what else does the present president, Obama, say about this negative? From the essential constraints that were placed uh, uh, by the founding fathers in the Constitution, at least as it's been interpreted and Warren Court interpreted it in the same way, that, that generally the Constitution is a charter of negative liberties, says what the states can't do to you, says what the federal government can't do to you. But He's saying something really incredible, really enlightening. Sun Tzu says that if you don't know yourself and you don't know your enemy, you'll lose every battle. If you know your enemy but not yourself, you still lose half of the battles. If you know yourself and you know your enemy, you'll win every battle. This man is assaulting our religious liberties. The only justification that he has is that we haven't lived what we're supposed to live. So we got to know ourselves. We're, we're sinners. We have fallen. We need to go on our knees to repent for God to heal our land. But don't let that stop you from recognizing your enemy. This man is an enemy to this nation. What you're hearing is his words that he wants to rearrange the whole setup the way this country operates, redistribute wealth. He sees that the state state cannot do certain things to you. The federal government can't do certain things to you. And these mastermind filled with wisdom people that founded this nation knew that they want these constraints on the government. That was the problem. Unrestrained government. And because our government is supposed to be small, As Thomas Jefferson said, the government who governs best governs least. It doesn't have the power to bridle those who are immoral. 
when they take hold of the Constitution and start reinterpreting it. You cannot be in office and not have Christian principles to interpret the Constitution. It was not made for anybody that didn't have those principles to interpret it. And so we got the ungodly doing that. He goes on and says, now, the positives. He wants to change it to the positive things. can't do to you, but it doesn't say what the federal government or the state government must do on your behalf. Uh, and that has- so that's what he wants. He's seeing the state's limited right to control you and tell you what to do and how to act, how to be, what kind of religion you have, whether you can do religion, whether you can pray. The fact that the government stopped from doing those things and is supposed to be stopped from doing those things. He wants it reversed. He wants it to say what the federal government can do on your behalf, what the state can do on your behalf. You give them that power. You give them the power to make you pay for sterilization. You give them the power to you pay for abortions. You give them the power to do everything and even close your own churches and constrain you within the house and the walls of the church speaking, and eventually no church at all. Cardinal Francis George of Chicago, 2010, said, of this whole situation that's going on right now, he said, I will die in my bed. My successor will die in jail. And his successor would die martyred in the public square. Does that not give you goosebumps? I'm excited about that. Not that that's happened, but that we got a cardinal and our bishops are seeing this now. Yes, many of the faithful have been voices. The power of is saying this. What's coming? So we have to realize that we have a people who's interpreting our Constitution that have no right to do it. George Washington actually said that we have people that can only take an oath in office and that in this nation that are willing to take a biblical oath. Because to take an oath means to accept that you're taking an oath before God. That no non-believer can therefore do that. No, therefore, they cannot be made to hold an oath. We got Ginsburg in Egypt just recently saying, telling the Egyptians, do not, in this time, right in the Constitution, do not look toward the United States of America's Constitution. Look toward South Africa's. This woman is on the U.S. Supreme Court, one of the nine justices making law right now. And she just did something and said something that's purely treason. Treason is a serious crime when it affects the whole, whole people. That's why they get the, the penalty for this was death. It's ex- execution. You say, am I advocating that? I'm advocating this is treason. And we should look at this. You say, well, what does all this got to do with Our Lady? All this got to do with mesonomics. It is Our Lady says, you, are, you continue to be deaf and blind as to look around the world around you, and you do not want to see what's going on without my son. This woman saying that she would not look to the U.S. Constitution, and she's making law on this every day for you, is why you 
are going to have to pay for abortion. It's criminal. We don't need to go to jail, like I said last week. They need to go to jail. She needs to go to jail for this. And more serious, whatever, whatever penalty for high treason is, she needs to suffer that penalty. We're at a battle now that you better wake up. If you don't wake up now, we won't be able to the next time. This works at the harvester. We will put it online. We usually wait till everybody gets it. It won't be mailed till tomorrow, but we'll put it online either in the next couple of days or either, at least by the first of the week. You read it. You study it. You think. Change your mentality. Be open to what are our next steps. First repentance, first prayer, but we better stand while we can stand. We're going to be victorious. Will it happen because we have the power to stand now, to throw off these shackles? Or will it be after we've been carried to the Colosseum repeatedly? Because the blood of the martyrs bring victory. The brave hearts now can bring victory. You've got to decide that. And so we've got a president saying, look what the government can do on your behalf. Contri- completely contradicting everything Joan just read about work and its ethics. We've got people in Greece falling. We've got Italy about to fall. We've got France suffering. We've got all the European countries. Europe is really in trouble. We can help Europe. People out there in every nation needs to pray for the United States of America. You have Centurion coming out of nowhere, a strong Catholic, biblical principled. It doesn't even make sense he's in a position he's in right now. This doesn't. Go ahead. We just had um, somebody send us something that he had said on on the campaign trail a couple days ago that sort of applies what you're saying right now. But um, Santurum also, Santurum um, blasted the president for maintaining big education bureaucracies that are run by the federal government. And he said that the federal and state governments running public schools is anachronistic, having stemmed from the industrialization of American. And this is a quote from Centurum. It goes back to the time of industrialization of America when people came off the farms where they did homeschool or have the little neighborhood school and into these big factories. So now we built equal factories called public schools. That's end quote. I just wanted you to comment on that because um, of the the connection of all of that, what you're saying, what's what is being purported in in the public schools today, and how it got its start by bringing people off the farm, bringing kids off the farm into the schools. We have to go back to the quote we said the um, a couple of weeks ago about Tocqueville from France about to civilize people, you got to cultivate the soil. That's the way to fix it. You learn a lot about common sense. You learn about God. You learn everything. It's just part of the work ethic that brings that and brings you to your knees and depending on God because you don't depend on yourself so much. And that there's a lot of things and factors in living an agrarian life, which is an agricultural life, which is to raise your crops and sustain uh, subsistence living, that just naturally draws you toward God. The city naturally draws you away from God. People may not like to hear that, but it's truth. So what Santorium said there is really remarkable because he's right. I passed these schools with my kids with me. I said, look at that cattle handling facility. It's just not moving cattle. Move them here, move them there, shift over here. You know, these schools are incredible. You pass them, there's 
There's a hundred school buses out there sometimes. This is not right. This is not the way. It's little towns. It's little villages. That's the future. That's where we're headed. Godly people, dependent on God. We've lost these things. We've gotten away from it. There's so much to be said about this subject. And tying this into the economics and medianomics, Our Lady, is remember Our Lady who says, you are blind. Look at the world around you. That means our country, our founding principles, our fathers, and what the people who sit in those positions now are saying. They're very dangerous. They're, they're your enemy. I'm not saying this. The propagandists that. The facts show that. If the U.S. bishops finally are recognizing that the United States has an enemy to it that wants to destroy it, then you have to realize that this is serious. So what do we do? We've got to follow our lady's words. It says, do not want to see where it's going without my son. You are renouncing him. So that's where we are today. We're renouncing the devil, completely the devil. And because of that, we're going to lose everything. Riaz, you want to get hope? Frank can't make it with the show today because we're not hooked up where we can do that. But uh, Frank, if you got, you can call Frank. He'll give you the number. But for any financial situations that you need to discuss with him. Yeah, for Frank's contact information, uh, he can be called on the telephone, uh, toll-free, 877-936-7686. Again, 877-936-7686, or by email, globalsilverinvestors at yahoo.com. That's globalsilverinvestors, that's one word, at yahoo.com. And their website address is globalsilverinvestors.com. Well, we have people now that is really a surrogate for our government, the the. Words of Harvester, look for this, spread it. Uh, pray for our bishops. I keep saying pray for our shepherds because she was going to place, place this on their plate. And, and people I've talked to, they say, well, you know, the bishops have gotten in this situation. And, and they did follow this social justice. It did lead to this. It has led to a mentality that you owe me, victimhood. And there's and it's too much socialism involved with it. But things now, when you're under persecution, you become seeing things more clear. And so we have something like that to rejoice over. But continue to encourage the bishops. Pray for them. Pray for these shepherds. And every shepherd is in a position of influence that we might be able to follow Our Lady and heal the world with Jesus, as she's told us herself. So we wish you, Our Lady. We love you. Goodbye. The subject matter contained in this presentation is based on biblical principles and designed to give you accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered.
It is provided with the understanding that neither the presenter nor the broadcaster is engaged to render legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Since your situation is fact-dependent, you may wish to additionally seek the services of an appropriately licensed legal, accounting, real estate, or investment professional.